Hi, you're listening to the Stefan Levera podcast focused on Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today, with episode 105, we're carrying on with the Hardware Wallet series. But first, let me introduce the sponsors of the podcast. Firstly, Kraken. Over my years in Bitcoin, I've been really impressed with the way Kraken operate both for their incredible focus on security and also for consistently acting ethically in the space under Jesse Powell's leadership. They're one of the longest standing Bitcoin exchanges. They're consistently rated the best. They offer some of the best liquidity available in the industry. And if you're a trader, you know that's what you need. They've got high trading volume, low fees. Kraken also offer 24-7 support. And on the institutional and business solution side, they're providing best-in-class accounting, reconciliation, reporting services for cryptocurrency hedge funds, asset managers, and fund administrators. Kraken also have an OTC desk for those higher-touch large block trades. Kraken offer five fiat currencies and also offer margin and futures trading. So to learn more and sign up, go to the Kraken link in the show notes. Next up, Unchained Capital. If you're looking for a product that allows you to easily set up a two of three keys multi-signature vault, these are the guys to look for. They they can use Trezor or Ledger wallets. It's in a web wallet. It doesn't require a great deal of technical skill to set it up, but remember, you still maintain control with your two keys, helping you distribute that risk, and you can keep the keys stored in different locations. And so on the other side of that is you can also choose to enter into a Bitcoin collateralized loan, meaning you can get USD liquidity without selling your Bitcoins, meaning you don't trigger a capital gains event. So that might be more tax efficient for you. And while that loan is outstanding, that Bitcoin is then stored in a dedicated multi-signature address under what's called collaborative custody with Unchained. So Unchained would hold one of the keys, you would hold a second key, and Unchained's independent third-party key agent would hold the third key key. So to learn more and sign up, go to the Unchained Capital link in the show notes. All right, so we are carrying on with the Hardware Wallet series. So basically, this is the final episode. My guests are actually both repeat guests. They are Justin Moon. He appeared on SLP 36. He's a developer and Bitcoin educator. He's the guy running Biddle Bootcamp, Mooniversity, and also the upcoming HODL Bootcamp. Uh, Stepan Sinjarev, he is the CTO of Crypto Advance. He appeared on SLP84 when we were talking about quantum computing, and we were also talking about his work with Crypto Advance, working on new hardware wallets. These guys are both working on some really interesting stuff in terms of DIY hardware wallets and multi-signature. So I had to get them on to talk about it. So here is the interview. Stepan and Justin, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, so look, I've, I've obviously had both you guys on the show in the past, so I think we don't need to do the intro stuff, but I hear you guys have a really cool story of how you two met. Do you want to go into that? Justin, do you want to start? Yeah, let me, uh, let me do that. So I, uh, I, I got into Bitcoin a little over a year ago, and I dove in really hard, and I took Jimmy Song's class, and then I, I was like, oh man, that, that was great. I want to I wanna go to a conference now. So I went to a conference in Lisbon called Breaking Bitcoin, and I did the hackathon there. And uh, so it's like, you know, early in the morning, getting ready for the hackathon. And uh, there's all these people sitting around and we're all programmers. So we're all introverted, sort of sitting, minding ourselves. And I just started walking around and meeting people. Like, what are you going to work on? And, and, you know, people were making a website or it's kind of boring things. And then I walk up to this uh, Russian guy uh, and he's got this big box of uh, wonderful gadgets in front of them. And I asked him, what are you going to build? And he's like, I'm going to build the first lightning hardware wallet. And so I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm working with you. Uh, and that's how we met. Uh, so we ended up actually building a Lightning hardware wallet. It's more like a Lightning button. Uh, Stefan, do you want to describe what we, he was the real mastermind of it. So do you want to describe what we uh, made? Yeah, so also from, from my side. Uh, so uh, Breaking Bitcoin was also my first uh, Bitcoin conference. Uh, so I seriously started thinking about moving into Bitcoin like uh, two years ago or so. And I spent like half a year writing my own Bitcoin library and going to Jimmy class and so on. Uh, and uh, this uh, conference wa- was uh, like, uh, I was entering this completely different world at that moment so i had to be prepared so i decided what can i do what will i enjoy doing during this hackathon and i put all my toys into the box uh, like nfc chips gps chips and all the other stuff that i had Uh, and i was just thinking okay uh on my way there i will figure out what exactly i want to build but i definitely want to build some crazy bitcoin hardware Uh, yeah and uh 
probably a couple of days before the conference, uh, there was an announcement from the CUI team, uh, team that they uh, have very interesting and modular structure such that they have a completely separate daemon that is uh, responsible for signing. And I thought, okay, what if we just replace this daemon with the hardware? Then we will have a Lightning hardware wallet. And it will be definitely something fun to do. And even if we will fail miserably, at least we will enjoy the time there. Yeah, so I was uh, th sitting there and uh, kind of mm, gathering people around me. Uh, and we ended up with the largest team in the hackathon, actually. Uh, it was really crazy two days, I think. It was two days in a row, like 14 people or so working on that. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, but uh, uh, eventually at the end, it was not even close to what we wanted, but it behaved very similarly to what it should do. So uh, eventually we got the first prize, uh, even though we cheated a bit with the functionality of this thing. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that sounds great. I think uh, it was one of those things that then spurred on a lot of other ideas and collaboration. What, one of the other interesting things there is that a bunch of the people from the team ended up going and working at hardware wallet companies, Shift Crypto in particular, the makers of Bitbox. Uh, and I've been, you know, teaching people about like to, to make hardware wallets in my class. Stepan now has a company. So I don't know. It was like a, it was, it was one of those really interesting experiences where uh, a bunch of people, like some people come together and a lot happens in two days. And, uh, and we still are connected. Yeah, exactly. Them. And I, I think part of it is that the, uh, that this topic like Bitcoin hardware wallets is just so interesting, like hobbyist Bitcoin hardware wallets, trying to take off the shelf pieces uh, and, you know, uh, put the puzzle together is, is really, really interesting. And you, you learn a ton about how Bitcoin works and uh, how security works and uh, just different considerations. And how hardware yeah, works. Yeah, how hardware, how, how hardware yeah. works, how computers work. Because, uh, you, you know, you're just dealing with this little simple machine. And, uh, and so that's sort of the, the genesis of why we wanted to jump on the show is like to share a little bit of that enthusiasm and hopefully get a bit of a community together like we have with hardware nodes, right? We have, you know, the Raspi Bolt, Raspi Blitz, uh, a lot of these open uh, node uh, projects, uh, which is great. I think it would be cool if we could have sort of at the same time some open hardware projects where you just get off the shelf pieces and construct them into a usable hardware wallet. So that's kind of the, the thesis here. That's what we're trying to kind of communicate. Yeah, and by the way, it doesn't have to be only hardware wallets. It can be any kind of hardware. So, for example, uh, Ben, BTC Socialist, is working a lot on this uh, point-of-sale terminals uh, for Lightning with these uh, small things. And also there were projects like uh, candy machines and, um, yeah, electric scooters and things so just uh would be nice to put all this together and kind of get more and more people uh experimenting with uh, hardware and bitcoin yeah right and uh, i think as you mentioned the uh the lightning hardware at bitcoin 2019 i think that was the one with uh open node we're doing the hookup for that and ben i think helped with that and then people could just pay with one sat and then play the little arcade game so that was a pretty cool demonstration of real world lightning here you go and it was on these these little pieces of hardware that ben was making so that was pretty cool uh so look i guess for the listeners who are thinking oh hang on how do i like rolling my own hardware wallet why, why would i look into this like isn't it just much cheaper and easier to buy one off the shelf mm, so doesn't uh, have to be uh, cheaper like it can be cheaper, actually. So, for example, uh, one of the projects that Ben is working uh, with us at the moment is like five bucks uh, hardware wallet. Uh, so none of the um, of the shelf hardware wallets can cost five five dollars. I don't know. Uh, even Open Dime is probably more expensive. Uh, and uh, also another thing is that yeah, do it yourself. Hardware wallet will never be as secure as the off-the-shelf hardware wallets from Trezor Ledger and others, uh, because uh, obviously it's do it yourself, and you uh, are probably not uh, better than a huge security team of the large company. Uh, but if you add it into your multi-signature setup, uh, the multi-signature is. Um, 
uh, additive. So uh, every new unit increases the security. It doesn't make the security worse. So even if you add the do-it-yourself thing, uh, you actually improve it by uh, introducing a completely different security model into the system. So uh, it is like a very weird setup for, with off-the-shelf components that uh, are not uh, a target of the supply chain attacks, for example. Uh, and uh, if even if someone will see this hardware wallet, uh, they will probably not guess that it is a hardware wallet. It will be just a weird looking box. Yeah. So um, some security, um, yeah, you can get some security from it. And you can also get some pretty good air gaps. Like uh, one of the big problem with current w wallets is that almost everything uses the, you know, uh, uh, micro USB wire, and that's sort of uh, uh, complicated, and a lot of attacks are possible there. And so now we have like some, you know, cold card uses micro SD card, which is uh, better, but it's you know quite feasible to make a QR based. Like Stepan and I have both made QR code based air gapped like hardware wallets, and I, as far as I know, you can't really buy one of those right now. Uh, and so, so you can get some better features, uh, like air gapping wise that you can't buy yet, uh, which is, I think really interesting. Yeah. Right. And on that topic of QR code, let's talk a little bit about that, because as I understand from speaking with some of the, the hardware wallet manufacturers, one of the concerns shared was that it's difficult to transmit enough information inside a QR code because the difficulty is about how much you can encode into one QR. What what are your views on that? Well, basically, we can use uh, QR codes in two directions. First one is we show the QR code with, let's say, unsigned transaction on the screen of the computer. And then it can be pretty large, actually, uh, because the computer screen is pretty large. Uh, and uh, in principle, you can put a few uh, kilobytes uh, into the QR code. Uh, so it's uh, normally when we were experimenting with this, a standard transaction of a couple inputs and couple outputs uh, fits in a single uh, QR code. It's fine. Uh, if you are dealing with the larger uh, transactions uh, or if you are using a crazy multi-signature setup where there are 20 cosigners, for example, then you may need to split it into uh, two or three QR codes. But uh, still, it's like not 20 it's just a few and in most cases it's just one uh, and uh, if you are using a cheapish camera that cannot really scan this kind of uh, qr code then yeah the usability is pretty bad but uh, there are pretty cheap industrial qr code scanners so like uh, very similar to what you use in the mall what you see in the malls uh, and they can scan uh, well, uh, very large QR codes of a few kilobytes at least, so they can easily scan the um, the QR code with the PSB key. And on the other side, uh, when you are sending back signatures, uh, you can uh, really get rid of all other data but the signatures. So you basically need to uh, display only a few signatures, and then the QR code is pretty small. And um, well, it depends on the screen, but I think that a few inch screen uh, can handle QR code like this. Uh, and uh, the phone camera can scan it. So, uh, Justin, you worked with a smaller screen, right? So I'm using the screen that is four inches. And yeah, so, the, so I, I've, I've been working on this little project called BitBoy. Uh, by the time the episode drops, I'll have tweeted out a bunch of stuff about it. But uh, uh, So it's a little hardware wallet made on an M5 stack, which is a really cute little uh, uh, like $40 computer with a nice screen, a case, and three buttons. Uh, and there's some nice attachments you can get. So this atta the attachment I'm using is like a QWERTY keyboard. Uh, so it kind of it's BitBoy because it kind of looks like a Game Boy, uh, and it also has a QR code scanner uh, bolted onto it in sort of a Frankenstein manner. Uh, so this screen has is 320 pixels by like 240, I think. Uh, so it's like about an inch and a half across. And on this screen, I'm able to display a QR code of a, sig a single signature. So when I uh, uh, display when I finish signing, it just displays one QR code for every input that was signed. And this is sufficient. You have to sort of have a nice webcam to scan it because it's kind of small, but it does actually work. Uh, and this is like a very uh, 
you know, with a with a bigger screen, it would obviously get a lot get a lot better. And most you know most uh, transactions that everyone uses is just you know one or just a couple signatures. So I don't think it's it's too bad. The one tricky thing is that you do need sort of a more powerful microcontroller uh, to drive the screen to uh, to be able to to uh, display you know the QR code quickly. Uh, mine kind of takes a little while. It's probably because it's the implementation isn't perfect, but you want you want the QR code to show up quickly. Yeah, because you're also using uh, MicroPython that is a little bit slower. Yeah. Uh, so and uh, our do-it-yourself hardware wallet uh, uses the screen that is uh, four point something uh, inches, so uh, exactly the same as was used in first uh, iPhones. Uh, and there, actually, the QR codes with uh, several inputs uh, can fit fit perfectly because it is like uh, 480 by 800 pixels uh, resolution. So uh, large QR codes. Uh, can fit there um, and scanning again is very efficient and easy because uh, if you if you use an industrial uh, QR code scanner chip uh, so it uh, is a little bit more expensive than the cheapest camera so like if you get a cheap camera it is uh, a few bucks and these QR code scanners well can cost about 40. So probably um, this is also a reason why we don't really see QR code uh, hardware wallets because it is somehow expensive. Uh, but uh, yeah, this scanners works really well. And another nice thing is that uh, it they have a separate chip that uh, processes the images. And therefore you don't put all this code of uh, image recognition into your main code that is storing the secrets. So like you have a physical separation be between the parsing of the images and the user data and the main microcontroller that is controlling uh, security critical uh, peripherals like display and uh, the private keys. Great. And so I guess while we're on this topic, let's talk a little bit around what parts would be needed uh, for the, let's say the user wants to do, you know, roll your own hardware wallet. So we mentioned here the QR reader, we mentioned the M5 or, or something similar. What other parts are needed? How difficult are they to get? Uh, so for our hardware wallet, we are using a developer board from STMicroelectronics. So it's just a single developer board that you can buy from any electronic store like mouse or DigiKey or anything else. Uh, and it already includes uh, this screen uh, and the microcontroller. And then on top of that, you only need to add the QR code scanner and maybe an adapter such that you can just plug them together without any soldering. So ideally... Uh, in principle, you can uh, just buy three parts. When they arrive, you just unpack them and put them together like a Lego style. Uh, and then uh, you just connect it to the computer to uh, upload the firmware there. And uh, in case of these boards, the firmware upload works uh, as simple as just drag and drop of the file into the USB drive. Yeah, uh, with the M5 stack, is it, it is a little bit different. So there, uh, Justin, maybe you can say what you need for uh, BitBoy. Yeah, so BitBoy is more like uh, like there's sort of a difference between I want to make a distinction between some of the stuff Stepan is working on. It's it's more like uh, a little it's 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 more it's like a real Bitcoin hardware wallet. Mine's sort of like for the lols, sort of. It's it's I, I teach it in my class, Biddle Bootcamp, and so it's not really like it has a Wi-Fi chip, so it's not really the ideal thing to use. But it's uh, the M5 stack platform is really nice because they have all these amazing peripherals and stuff. So the 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 actual the, the main piece is like $40. And, and by the way, you can go to DIYBitcoinHardware.com. That's a little website we've set up for this to see all the little instruction lists, demos, everything we're going to talk about. Uh, and also like a history of hardware wallets. We were just looking a little earlier on GitHub at the first ever hardware wallet. It was created like seven, eight years ago. It's like, wow, it's gotten a lot easier since then. So we're going to have that stuff up on DIYBitcoinHardware.com. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. So the uh, M5 stack's like 40 bucks. The peripheral is like another 30. And then the QR code scanner is like 25. So for about the price of a uh, cold card, you know, it's about, it's a little less than a cold card. But of course, it has a Wi-Fi chip. So it's not, this is not ideal for like real use, but it's like a really fun thing to learn with. Uh, and my emphasis on, for my project is more like making the code really easy to understand. It's all Python. So like any programmer can kind of jump in and, and learn quite a bit. Uh, whereas Stepan's is like a real thing that he's building a company around. One call out, and you guys mentioned this earlier, is that this potentially does dramatically reduce your risk against a supply chain attack because 
theoretically it's it's like general purpose computing device it's not as likely that somebody is going to try and insert some vulnerability or exploit uh before it before it arrives at your door right yeah mostly because uh well uh, if you see, if you are, uh, I don't know, a guy who is delivering DHL packages and you see a bag that is labeled as treasure and ledger, you know that probably this device will be used to store bitcoins. So you have a large incentive and you have a very like, uh, uh, high probability of a successful uh, supply chain attack in this scenario. Uh, if you're delivering some random maker's stuff, you don't know if it will be a hardware wallet or maybe it will be just a uh, meteor station that will show the weather outside of the window. Uh, so like the probability that this hardware will be used for uh, Bitcoin is uh, way lower. Yeah. So uh, this way, uh, supply chain attack is, uh, well, much less probable. One really cool thing about this hobbyist hardware wallet idea is that it would be feasible with some degree of a little bit of technical sophistication, but not that much. Uh, and maybe, you know, in the next six months, not right now, it's still a little bit of a work in progress, but you could get to a point where somebody could like set up a multi-sig wallet with like a couple different, uh, you know, uh, building blocks that will hopefully we'll be able to uh, create and nobody in the world would know this person owns Bitcoin, which is amazing. They just buy it off the shelf uh, and, you know, download the software over Tor, stuff like that. And and they wouldn't leak the fact that they have any interest in Bitcoin to like really anybody. Uh, and that's sort of tough if you have to buy hardware or, you know, hardware wallet from a, a manufacturer or, if you know, maybe you could get someone else to buy it for you. But I think it's just like a cool sort of push the edge cypherpunk idea that you, that you could do this and, and and nobody would even know that you're even interested in the, the whole topic. And uh, on a kind of related note is like, you know, if, if you ever got into a situation where, uh, you know, Bitcoin became a huge target, like say there was a, a very horrible terrorist attack or something and Bitcoin became a political target and, you know, the, the hardware wallet companies uh, were a target as well. Like I think, I think uh, an ecosystem like this would be, it's sort of like the Blockstream satellite, right? Uh, it, like hopefully we never need that, but it'd be great if we sort of have uh, sort of a uh, uh, some of these devices in in the background. So like in case something goes really wrong and we can't depend on hardware wallet companies, not for their own fault, but for some you know just for political reasons or something. It'd be really really good if we had the ability to construct hardware wallets as a you know people could go and construct one. Uh, we're using just off the shelf stuff. So that's, th those are, it's, it's not exactly supply chain, but it is kind of supply chain because the risk of supply chain isn't that just that it gets hacked and you lose your funds. It's like, what if the whole thing goes down, you know, like, uh, you know, it, there, there is a chance that something like that would happen. Just like there's a chance that Bitcoin network, uh, activity would get censored at which point the satellite becomes really useful. Right. Yeah. So I would summarize that then as helping build resilience in Bitcoin's hardware network, let's say, if you will. Uh, and so while that said, I think the listener at this point, they might be thinking, well, hang on, most of the typical hardware wallets, they've got a secure element. Would this DIY wallet I make, would that just be more easily hackable? Is the idea that I would use multi-signature and have tamper evident stickers so I know if it's been tampered with? What's the consideration there? Okay, so um, there are a few secure elements that you can uh, buy and use uh, off the shelf. Uh, like uh, the one that uh, Coldcard is using and also others from Microchip. Uh, otherwise, uh, yeah, in principle, the security of your do-it-yourself thing will be mm, lower. Uh, but uh, for example, in our hardware wallet, that, uh, that do-it-yourself uh, version that we are releasing soon, uh, we just don't store the private key ever. So you just, uh, every time you boot the device, you need to enter your recovery phrase. Uh, and then even if someone will get your hardware wallet, they can't really extract your private key because it's, it's never there. So it's, uh, it's used only uh, when you use it, you enter it, you sign the transaction, and then it uh, deletes the private key. Uh, 
so like every time you can even uh, use something like a disposable hardware wallet. So like you buy off the shelf components, you program it, you use it for a single signature, and then you crash it with a hammer or uh, burn it into the micro in the microwave or something. <laughs> uh, and then you know that every time you have a clean hardware and uh, like no one will ever get your private key. Um, let me jump in right there that that sort of gets to this like broader question of like what is a hardware wallet anyways like when i first encountered a hardware wallet i'm like okay this is the thing i hodl right i get this and i just protect it right uh but that's really not i think that's how a lot of people approach them but that's really not the way you should probably or usually use them because a hardware wallet firmware can get out of date uh the device can fail like uh, that's not a very, uh, like physically not a very resilient piece of, uh, uh, device, right? You really want, uh, your private key in some sort of either, you know, many copies of it or in some sort of more, uh, resilient, like a, in, in crypto steel or something, uh, just so it can, you, you know, a fire doesn't take you out, you know, just like hold, hodling one hardware wallet is not a, a great, uh, way to do it. And so like one of the, the, these sort of hobbyist things were, working on right now that's how bitboy works right now is like yeah you it's really great if it's more like a ui for your seed right it's like the minimal environment the minimal computing environment to produce to turn your seed into an address and a signature like that's really what you want you want to be able to turn your seed your private key into addresses and signatures uh with uh while uh exposing it uh as little as possible to the uh uh, in, the environment around it. And so that's, that's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, the question, you know, other hardware wallets sort of generate the seed, you know, they, they use, uh, they, they, they look for some source of randomness on the device and generate the seed. And, uh, I don't think hobbyist hardware wallets will probably be the best at that. Uh, but I think one thing they will be really good at, given that they have like big screens and nice keyboards is, uh, facilitating like, uh, sort of like provable generation of uh, mnemonics and seeds from dice rolls, just like cold card does. And I think that's maybe, uh, you know, if, if you just get some good casino dice, I think that's a really good way to get your randomness. Uh, you don't have to trust in all this magic uh, and computing, all, all, you know, all the, all the stuff that could go wrong in computers, you can just sort of throw it out and just roll your dice and enter them in. And so, uh, you know, there, there you can get generation and uh, interaction with your seed uh, it's just not very good at storing it long term, but hey, you know, you could use, you just maybe uh, just store the seed in uh, steel form and uh, just, you know, introduce the hardware wallet when you want to interact with it five years later. Uh, also, uh, side note, uh, so first of all, uh, Ideally, you want to add several sources of entropy. So you can uh, add uh, your dice rolls, plus you add environmental noise, for example, from the antenna or analog input, and you also can add the true random number generator that is built in in most of the uh, of the chips nowadays, and then you uh, add all of them together. And uh, whenever you add random stuff to anything, it becomes actually random. So even if one of them is random enough, then you are safe. Uh, and another nice thing about this hobbyist approach is that you can also make your own custom uh, tamper-proof uh, features. For example, you can program your hardware wallet such that if someone is moving it and then uh, the hardware wallet wakes up, and uh, asks uh, for the pin or whatever uh, and if uh, the guy doesn't enter the pin in 10 seconds then it erases all the secrets for example uh, or maybe uh, something else like i don't know laser lights and cage and uh, uh, really uh, sci-fi uh, anti-temper uh, measures uh, like someone crossing the laser and uh, again, all the secrets are get erased. So uh, with this approach, you can experiment and go crazy, actually. Great. And with the the skill required to assemble these devices, uh, you mentioned earlier that it's kind of like Lego-style assembly, uh, no soldering required, uh, and also the powering of it as well. I, is, the, is it presumably that you would do something like the cold card where you get a power bank and you plug it with a micro USB to charge or to power these devices? So M5 stack, as far as I know, has a built-in battery that lasts not for long, like for half an hour or so, but uh, basically there you have a battery that you can charge if you want. Uh, for our thing, uh, 
you don't have a battery like built in, uh, but you can just buy a battery like 2000 milliamp hours uh, or so and uh, plug it in. So uh, depends on your skills. So if you want to stay like really Lego style without any soldering, uh, then it might be a little bit tricky adding a, uh, an external battery. But if you're okay with soldering, then a couple hours of work and then you have a full uh, phone from factory hardware wallet that has both a QR code scanner, a battery and the charger. Uh, that uh, like the USB port that is only used for charging. It doesn't even have any data lines. Uh, so something like this. Uh, M5 stack is even easier. It is really built, like already has a casing and uh, really easy to plug in. I think in terms of the skills required, uh, it's still like, uh, it's, it's still a lot of, like this is for tinkerers. And if you don't want to tinker, like stay away for like another six months. Uh, like, but if you like tinkering, which I think a lot of people in Bitcoin do, and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people's interest drives them deeper. If, if that's sort of you and you want to tinker around, then, then it is fun. And you'll have to, you'll have to do some, like, uh, maybe some command line stuff at some point. Maybe you'll edit a little Python code or something. Uh, so it, it does take, like right now it is a little more hands-on, but I think we're, we're like, hopefully we can get to the point where it's it's basically as simple as updating your firmware on your Trezor or something. You know, you just plug plug a couple things together, plug it in, uh, run a command, and you know, click a button and get your firmware update. Uh, hopefully, it can get to that point over the next six months. Uh, that's sort of like the goal. So we're we're kind of here uh, sharing our progress a little prematurely, but but hopefully, like, and part of the reason is we'd like to get some more uh, people to both test out and contribute to these devices because we've had like a blast playing around with them in the last year. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's still, it's still kind of difficult now if you're not a tinkerer, but I think in six months it could get a lot more easy, a lot easier. Great. And, uh, well, you mentioned earlier they're just the firmware as well. So what sort of firmware will these devices have? What language would they be written in? And then what's the idea to keep them updated? So, you know, best 32 addresses, Schnorr, Taproot, all of that. Uh, so I'm currently focusing more on C and C++ uh, and embed framework. So uh, Arduino, embed, and uh, C style. So it is a little bit low level uh, language. Uh, but uh, we are slowly moving towards uh, MicroPython and Embedded Rust. Uh, and uh, yeah, we are working with Justin on the uh, MicroPython uh, Bitcoin library. So I, I wrote all the low level C code uh, that is uh, basically providing some uh, efficient primitives for uh, elliptic curve. Uh, math and hashing uh, and he wrote uh, all the python part for hardware wallet so it is way easier to program in micropython i would say uh, but uh, unfortunately at the moment sometimes you need to go deeper to the c level so sometimes you well you always uh, find some problems where you that you cannot solve with uh, micropython and you need to go uh, a little bit deeper so in that sense uh, it's really great that we work together with justin because uh, we can kind of uh, collaborate on both sides and uh, really make a big progress so uh, the last uh, thing that we did, like one month ago, right? Uh, yeah. We started uh, this yeah, microphone support. Yeah, and uh, you you wrote really like everything. So uh, from the uh, all the functionality that I had in C and C plus plus, you wrote within this one month. That's crazy. Yeah. So I think part of the goal here is like uh, it it takes a lot of plumbing to get something that works at all. Like you're just like plumbing and it's boring and you're like really low level trying to get C code to work uh, in, in, in like underneath. But once that all works and you can sort of access the C cryptography or uh, like display driver code, all the low level stuff that's got to be fast. Uh, and you can, you can just, you can start to just write normal Python code, which is like the most accessible programming language. Uh, and just pull in all this stuff that me and Stepan spent like a year building uh, or, you know, like in various forms, like we've been kind of working on it for a long time. And so like, that's the idea is I think building on top of this is going to get really easy now that we've sort of put this, a lot of this uh, uh, stuff underneath uh, all, all these sort of libraries. And another thing that 
Yeah, so like to prepare a toolbox uh, that people can use that a bunch of useful waivers like for QR code display for um, addresses encoding and other things. Yeah, so that that's sort of the idea is like long term, I think it would be really good to have, uh, you know, a couple of these firmwares in, in different languages, because, you know, sometimes languages have, uh, you can have a bug in one implementation and not in the other. So in like a multi-sig, it's really nice if you can have stuff written in different languages. Uh and so like C, C, C++ is one, MicroPython is another, Embedded Rust is a third. Uh, and the, the idea is these would just be like very simple. Like all they do is sign Bitcoin transactions, deal with seeds and HD wallets, a couple things like that. Uh, and so it's so a very minimal, like no shit coins, uh, which is, you know, weighs down a lot of other hardware wallets. An emphasis on auditability. Like if you want to figure out like, well, what, how exactly does one of these big time hardware wallets like verify change addresses it's actually quite difficult even if you're a programmer like there's so much code in these in these uh, uh that they've sort of produced so the idea is these would these these things would be very auditable so it's, it's not as hopefully a, a less code uh and, and another another thing is like it'd, it'd be great if we could have you know some different computing platforms like currently mine is this esp32 it's more of like an internet of things platform so not really ideal for hardware wallets uh stepan is using stm32 and there's this like risk five or risk V. I never know how to say it. It's a little more kind of like an open source uh, computing platform. And actually, Va Vladimir Vanderland, the lead Bitcoin core maintainer, is is one of is on their like Rust steering community. So he's like, there's a lot of interest in this computing platform. So like, uh, it'd be cool to have uh, you know, one you know a, a port on every language that targets sort of a different uh, platform, and you could just sort of pick these three together in a multi-sig and it'd be really like a diverse setup. You know, you'd have like three different languages, three different platforms. Uh, that would be pretty, that'd be pretty interesting, I think. Yeah, that's fantastic. And let's, let's now talk about the software aspect of it. So how would this hook up to the blockchain? How, how would I, would I hook it into Electrum or how, how would that work? Well, let me take this one. I, I've been working on this a lot lately. So, uh, so yeah, I, I've been, uh, largely trying to figure out how to do multi-sig in my personal life, you know, like I want to, you know, graduate to multi-sig like a good Bitcoin adult and uh, <laughs> still having trouble, having trouble with that, to be honest. Uh, like uh, Electrum works, but it's not the easiest. And uh, I always have trouble with my, my node and my Electrum personal server like crashes. I'm not very good at like that sort of thing. So, uh, so yeah, I've been trying to look into uh, how to write a UI for, uh, for multi-sig using Bitcoin Core directly as a watch-only wallet. Uh, and so the idea there is like, you know, uh, Bitcoin has all this wallet code and usually you interact with it through the uh, uh, Bitcoin QT, the GUI that they made, right? Uh, but the Bitcoin QT, well, well, it's very secure and excellent and like audited by all of the Bitcoin Core developers. It's written in C++ and it's sort of a, a you know, very legacy code base. So it evolves slowly and features generally show up there last. Uh, so you, you pay and use it for you, you pay for the security with some usability. Uh, but you can also access the Bitcoin Core wallet on the command line. And in Andrew Chow's episode, he was telling about how he used to he, he still uses it on the command line. Uh, and a lot of Bitcoin Core developers, I'm sure, use it on the command line. Uh, but another way you can do it is something called RPC. RPC means remote procedure call. Like usually a procedure call means you're like exercising a function in a programming language. Like a sum function would take, you know, one, two, three, and then return six. So remote procedure call is like the same idea, but the person who, the, the, the source of the information might be on a different machine, for example. That would be your hardware node. Right, so like you'd have a hardware node in your network that's running Bitcoin Core, and you can do this RPC thing to uh, do commands and then get a response back. So that's what if you heard of RPC, that's what it means: remote procedure call. It's like a procedure, but it's remote somewhere else. And uh, so the idea is, this is another way you can access Bitcoin Core. And so like if we can, so I made this project called Junction, uh, which uses RPC to uh, create a watch-only wallet for a multi-sig. Uh, and so the way, the way it works is you set it up, it creates one of these watch only wallets. Watch only means it doesn't have private keys. So Bitcoin core on your internet connected machine, uh, has no private keys. So if it gets hacked, it's not a problem because it has no private keys. The worst you can leak is your privacy. Uh, so you create this watch only wallet. And then we use this HWI project created by Andrew Chow described in the previous episode with him, 
Uh, and there's a command that allows you to get the XPubs, the public keys, on each one of your hardware devices. And so you plug in each hardware wallet, you extract a public key, which is needed to construct a multi-sig script. Uh, and then once you have that, you're able to use something called the descriptor language, uh, which Andrew Chow also uh, mentioned, uh, which allows you to uh, export a huge range of addresses from my little junction thing into Bitcoin Core's wallet. Uh, so that means it'll it'll watch these addresses for incoming funds, uh, and this is really powerful because like uh, it's you're, you're able to export huge amounts of of addresses very quickly, very easily, and uh, and lastly, you do this wallet create funded PSBT. Andrew also talked about this. Uh, you provide the outputs you want, the address and the amount, and Bitcoin Core actually chooses the input. So you, Bitcoin Core is a sophisticated coin selection algorithm, which it uses here. Uh, and then you once again use HWI to sign this PSBT, partially signed Bitcoin transaction, and broadcast it to the network. So it's really cool. It's like this minimal UI that allows you to interact with hardware wallets uh, and use Bitcoin Core full node uh, for all the blockchain stuff. So, uh, and the, the best thing about this is Unject, like it's a couple hundred lines of Python code. Uh, it really speaks to all the work that's been done by the Bitcoin core developers with the descriptor language, with these uh, uh, PSBT, with HWI. Uh, so I think, I think this really, uh, like we're, we're really close to being able to have hardware wallets, UIs that plug in directly with Bitcoin core, uh, just because a few years of work in, in, into, into making this easy uh, is sort of like culminating now. So that's the idea is uh, we could have like, uh, you know, a UI like this and, you know, we just add a QR code scanner for these hobbyist hardware wallets. And then all of a sudden, boom, since we all use a, a standard PSBT format, now we're able to pass around this thing uh, over the serial port for a Trezor. And then it goes over a QR code to Stepan Spectre, his, his project, and it goes over a QR code to my little uh, bit boy. So that's the idea uh, is, is, you know, we're, we're moving towards that, but I think we're, uh, a lot of it's just because the Bitcoin core developers have made uh, all these improvements to the RPC layer of the wallet, uh, which allow sort of application developers like me to come in and uh, expose that to the user. Got it. And so as you know, from my own fooling around with Bitcoin core, I see when you uh, when you go into your Bitcoin folder and you open the, you know, you do nano uh, bitcoin.conf. Oh, there you, you go. The conf file. <laughs> Right. And then there's an option you can set there like RPC user equals and RPC password equals. Right. And then that's where you would set the user and the password. And then presumably on the well, on your software, just in the junction yep. software, or is it actually in the hardware wallet where you're giving it? OK, here is my RPC username and password that I previously put into my Bitcoin core conf file. Ah, uh, great question. It, it is all uh, it is all in the like this this uh, duct tape junction layer all, all the sort of permission rpc username and password would be stored by this like ui uh, and none of that will be known by the uh by the hardware wallet the hardware wallet just uh uh the hardware wallet's really stupid like that's the whole idea of a hardware wallet it just knows as little as possible it it it, it can only see the outside world through a tiny little hole you know it, it can only it can only like uh respond to very simple messages uh, so it doesn't know anything like that. It just says, hey, if, if it gets a, you know, uh, a request over a QR code, it knows how to respond to that. That's all it does. So it doesn't know anything about the blockchain. And that's the, that's the importance of this PSPT format. A PSPT will give the hardware wallet everything it needs to do its job. Uh, and uh, so the, the hardware wallet only needs to deal with this one format. Gotcha. And so I guess the other question that a listener is probably thinking well, what about this idea of building trust in the firmware and the software, right? So the idea is eyes on the code and people say, well, Bitcoin Core has the most eyes on the code. How do we build trust in the firmware and the software needed for these projects? I think a big thing on the UI front is that it, it's just very little code, actually. It's all Bitcoin Core. Like that's the cool thing for the junction project and the projects like it, like uh, Stepan's working on a similar project for his Spectre wallet. And uh, I know a couple of companies, like there's going to be a number of these coming out. Uh, the cool thing is that all the work is done by Bitcoin Core, which is awesome. Like, uh, don't do any crypto in your wallet, like outsource as much of that to like the, the Bitcoin engine, Bitcoin Core. Uh, and then for the, the, the hardware wallets, I mean, absolutely, this is going to be a, a time, will, time will tell whether these things are actually secure over the long run, whether they get hacked a lot or whether they're, you know, uh, 
whether trust builds. So it's it's a more of an experiment on that front. But uh, I think that's probably more acceptable in you know multi sig situations where loss of one key that's different. It's it's subject to a very different security model. That's actually acceptable, and maybe good in some cases. Uh, also uh, about uh, the firmware part, um, if there will be more contributors that are like uh, people tinkers that are experimenting with this firmware uh, then there will be more people that look at the code so because uh, it's not enough just to open source your firmware uh, because uh, for example look at ledger they open source the firmware and there was still a bug that was lying there uh, for years just because people are not building on top of that uh, it just they can uh, read the code but they are not using it and uh, what we are trying trying to do is actually to provide a toolbox that uh, allow people to build on top of. So if people are building on top of the libraries and the toolbox that we have, they will find bugs easier uh, just because it is commonly in use, like similar to uh, Bitcoin Core and Libwole and other libraries that are popular in the community at the moment. Uh, and uh, also why uh, Trezor crypto libraries are actually also pretty good because uh, it is used by all the core of Trezor, for example. <laughs> so the secret to getting someone to audit your code is have people build stuff on top of it, hey? Yes, yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's the idea. Easier said than done, I think, but we'll see. So just help me compare this, right? So in most listeners will need to compare this back against something that already exists right now if you're going so commercially there's obviously there's unchained capital so of disclosure they're a sponsor of the podcast and there's also casa who are doing this as like a as a product that you can have but if you were doing this on your own users most probably they're using something like electrum and they're using electrum with either electrum personal server electrum x or electrum rust server and so the flow there would be something like use the web wallet plug in, or not the web wallet, the Electrum wizard and go multi-sig, hardware wallet, blah, 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 two of three, whatever. Uh, what would be the main difference then in the flow of using Junction and or Spectre desktop versus, say, Electrum multi-sig? Mm, well, go ahead. you just uh, run your Bitcoin core and then hopefully just run the app that can talk to your Bitcoin core and just go on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's just the way it's going to move. Like, I expect a lot of these... Uh, companies like i expect casa and unchained are also moving in this direction right like i'm sure casa wants their uh casa node to talk to keymaster right i'm sure that's coming soon i'm sure the same is true with unchained like i just think this is the direction it's going to go uh you know all of these these companies that really help secure one of your keys and help provide both software and uh, customer service to like make sure you don't screw up uh they're going to all move to helping you talk to your own node as well. So I think the whole the whole group is just going to move in this direction, and uh, and yeah, that's uh, uh, yeah. I think that's just the way. Like talking directly to nodes instead of like I mean, like largely uh, this kind of Electrum. It's like Electrum is just such a good wallet that was built for a long time. It just made more sense to build like an interface layer in between. Uh, than to try to build a whole new wallet going directly to Bitcoin Core two or three years ago when Electrum personal servers were uh, created. But I think now we're getting to the point where you can build UIs that go directly to Bitcoin Core uh, pretty easily. And I think the main reason is that uh, Bitcoin Core is really moving in that direction and uh, making it easier to uh, use it as a watch-only wallet. Because even at the moment, if you compare the uh, current uh, Bitcoin Core release, uh, I think it is 18.1 versus the master branch, you will see the significant differences. So the master branch that is like not released yet uh, is way faster in uh, parsing and scanning all this uh, uh, watch uh, descriptors and uh, watch only addresses and so on. Uh, so uh, there was a lot of work done by Bitcoin Core uh, guys to actually uh, add support of external signers, let's say. Great. And I think it might also be good to get a point of view from a, more of a development point of view around. Okay, so there's a famous XKCD doc. Uh, uh, on this topic and it's like there are 14 different standards for doing something and then someone says oh i know i'll make one standard to rule them all and then the next panel is something like oh there are now 15 standards for doing this yeah 
the same thing with um, multi-signature, right? So as I understand, there are different ways to achieve it. There are, you know, and alt- fundamentally, you still have to know, and this also relates to an earlier episode where Rodolfo was talking about walletsrecovery.org, right? And this idea of, well, okay, it's fine. It's all well and good for this wallet to know, but what if that wallet goes defunct, out of business or whatever? The user still has to have the... Uh, derivation path and ideally the redeem scripts, right? And so in this case, if the user is rolling their own, they still need to make sure they've got, I guess, the key pieces they would need, right? So in this case, it's probably the XPUBs of those, say, say you're doing a two of three. You would need the XPUBs for those three wallets. You would need the redeem script as well. So can you comment a little bit on how, how does that kind of come together? So the descriptors in Bitcoin Core uh, should work as a universal description of the wallet. So ideally, uh, you should back up on the, this piece of information. Uh, it includes uh, both the XPUBs and also the order of the uh, of these wallets and also the uh, way how to construct the redeem scripts. Uh, so uh, at the moment, uh, Bitcoin Core supports uh, only like single key and uh, multi-signature descriptors. And as far as I know, uh, they want to include mini scripts there. And then we will be able to construct um, very uh, interesting wallets that, for example, include the time walks and other things like this. And they will all be... Uh, uh, displayed and configured by this descriptors language uh, so i think that then the only thing that you will need to uh, to store together with your wallet uh, like a backup uh, is this descriptor so a single text file that uh, has all the information necessary to find your bitcoins afterwards if you screw up if you uh, lose your node or whatever Justin, did you have anything to add on that or you mostly agreed there? Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's I think both of these, it's like the, the, the hobbyist wallet and the, the sort of like uh, new RPC multi-sig UI thing, the two sort of things we've been discussing here. I think both of them stress just like reusing whatever the standard is. So like these hobbyist wallets just use the, uh, the seed, the mnemonic seed. Uh, not trying to innovate there, just like reuse that uh, UI, make, make a nice way to interact with it. So I don't think it's a problem there. And with like the kind of multi-sig wallet setup, outsource everything to Bitcoin Core. And I think that's, it's like one less standard. Every, all the important stuff is happening in Bitcoin Core. So uh, yeah, I, I view it as the other direction, you know, just like try to lean as much as we can on Bitcoin Core so that, uh, you know, you get these standard setups. Yeah, because it is uh, first our reference implementation. Uh, and also, uh, I would say that if there are 14 standards and then someone invents the 15 standard that goes into, goes into the beep, then we have the standard and 14 other <laughs> No, that's a, th- those are great points, guys. Agreed. So then from an estate planning, backup, recovery point of view, as you're saying then, it's mainly keeping the output descriptors uh, and obviously the private key each is held on each of the, say, the three different devices. So that would be the main thing you have to worry about there. So what about some of the other ideas? So things like ongoing support. Uh, is there going to be like a chat channel for people to all support each other? What's 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 your view there? You mean on making this uh, do-it-yourself hardware wallets? Uh, okay, so uh, that's why we uh, decided to um, put online this uh, website, uh, DIYBitcoinHardware.com, uh, where we hope to put uh, also the uh, links to the Telegram and uh, make a Telegram group where people can actually ask and uh, get help with assembling this and uh, uh if people don't want to go to uh, open an issue on GitHub, for example, they can they can just uh, text there. Uh, but we didn't really set up set it up yet. So uh, hopefully we will do it uh, uh, soon after the podcast and put the link in the in there. Great. And also, I guess the other one that people might have a concern about, and I suppose if they're more of a tinker or a builder, they they're not as concerned with this, but they might be wary of using it if they think oh maybe this project might fall into disrepute and or it might just uh just go stale you know what i mean uh what's the hope there is the hope there that it'll just be continually built on and then once once there's additional use then there'll be it'll be seen more like a community project to keep updated 
So from uh, our side, I can say that uh, we are building the this uh, wallet and the desktop app uh, to use by ourselves. So we are just building tools for ourselves and we desperately need something like this. This, this is why we started all this. Uh, so uh, as far as we are in Bitcoin and we keep using it, we will continue um, working on it and adding new features. Uh, so uh, for me, it is especially important because I'm now part of the hardware company. So uh, it will stop probably only if I die. Hopefully it will never happen. And uh, even then, uh, if we have enough contributors and uh, we rise enough uh, kind of interest in the community, then uh, the progress will continue. Uh, and uh, Justin is planning to start the uh, course on hardware wallets uh, with MicroPython. So hopefully there will be more and more developers that are building uh, on top of this uh, toolbox and uh, starting tinkering. Uh, so I think that uh, to make sure that the project will survive and evolve uh, we really need people to start working on that and we will try our best to get more people on board yeah i would say be skeptical of us you know like if you're listening to the podcast assume stefan and i are over promising and we're full of crap you know like uh you know and that's good and and uh but you know hop in and if you want to play around with this stuff you know put some testnet coins on it put a little you know a tiny bit amount of real bitcoin if you if you're reckless but you know don't go and you know maybe redo your entire cold storage the first week that we announce it like yeah be a little skeptical wait wait around and adopt it kind of gradually and uh like you do with anything right you don't want to go buy a new trezor and then just stick your entire net worth on there uh you know the first time you want to practice with it and that's I think that's a big thing, you know, it's, it'd be good to see more of. It's just, you know, uh, or it's just a good idea just to, to practice with these things, uh, explore them, use it on testnet all the time. Uh, and over time, you get more and more sophisticated, and then you can make that final decision whether it actually is secure or not yourself uh, because you you just got to be more sophisticated. Uh, as, as Rudolfo explained on the previous podcast, like being your own bank is a responsibility, uh, and you can't outsource that. You need to actually develop the sophistication yourself. And I think that's one of the, the big value propositions of playing around with these hobbyist hardware wallets is it helps you develop that sophistication so you can make good decisions yourself. Fantastic. And uh, Justin, maybe you just also want to comment on are there any upstream dependencies or anything that has to get merged into Bitcoin Core before this is easy for noobs to use, right? So we were talking about HWI earlier, but you were also mentioning that you could just do this from from an RPC point of view. Can you comment on that? Yeah, so uh, I mean, just with my little junction project, like there are a number of like little annoying things that uh, like, like it, it'll it'll continue. So so it works now. It'll continue to improve. But like the, one of the trickiest things is that you know this HWI project, which is a brilliant interface for like these different vendors, uh, uh, sort of like a standard way to access these different vendors who behind the scenes all work very differently. Uh, like there are some things that you just can't do. You can't say, "Hey, uh, Trezor, show this multi-sig uh, address on the screen." Uh, you really want that because if you're going to uh, receive, if you're going to read your cold storage, receive a bunch of coins on a new address, you really, really want to be sure you actually control that address. And the idea is that the hardware wallet should be like the trusted UI, right? The desktop might be malware. The hardware wallet is like the trusted UI. This is the one UI I believe. Uh, and maybe if a couple desktop machines agree, I'll, I'll sort of believe them. But I really want to have this one uh, hardware wallet UI that I can trust. And there's no way to just say, hey, show this multi-sig address. Uh, and so that's, that's one of the difficulties of making a standard interface layer. Uh, it's They haven't figured out how to make this work on all three devices. Uh, another tricky thing is that it doesn't detect change, change address, uh, ch change addresses. Uh, and that's just a dis uh, decision on the part of Andrew Chow. He's like, I don't see a good way to do this yet. So like, like any sort of like standards based thing like HWI, uh, it's always, uh, it always lacks a little bit in functionality, right? Like these two are good examples. Uh, but the benefit is that you get the standard thing that everyone can plug and play with, but hopefully doing some of this hobbyist stuff like this junction and this junction UI, we can help sort of drive a little bit of the, you know, give the, some of these Bitcoin core maintainers some feedback about what the, you know, use cases would be helpful and can help to sort of give some feedback and drive the development process forward there a little bit uh, based on user, user input. Excellent. Yeah. So that sounds great. Stepan, did you want to just give us a quick update? What's happening? What's the latest with crypto advance? 
Yeah, so uh, we decided to uh, actually publish the code of our, let's say, functional prototype. That is why we are also releasing this do-it-yourself hardware wallet and the desktop app that is talking to Bitcoin Core. Uh, because, uh, well, who knows what community will find useful and interesting and uh, what not. So we decided to uh, release it at the moment, even though it is not a perfectly secure, like it is not secure at all because it is a functional prototype. Uh, this means that it is uh, it can sign, it can display things, it can add new cosigners and display multi-signature addresses and uh, things like that. Uh, but uh, it is it didn't go through the security audit yet. It is like a little bit of spaghetti code everywhere and so on. But at least this is something that uh, already lets people to feel the interface and capabilities of the wallet that potentially uh, can be made. Uh, and also we are using the same prototype to experiment with new features like CoinJoin, Lightning Network, and uh, other uh, additions to the protocol. Mm, and yeah, we also want to give a tool for other developers to try it out and to see how we can improve and how other, the software um, parts of the, or let's say, Bitcoin Core or Electrum or other wallets can improve. And so that is the current status. So we decided to focus on this do-it-yourself approach for now uh, and uh, get the community feedback and then from there continue uh, working on both the uh, consumer hardware wallet like a Series 1 and uh, enterprise solution and other things like uh, in parallel with that. So uh, we hope to get some feedback from this do-it-yourself project to align ourselves for the future. So uh, a little bit selfish, but uh, hopefully community will also uh, get something from it. Yeah, I think they will. Uh, Justin, do you want to just give us a quick update what you're doing with Biddle Bootcamp and some of your projects? Yeah, so I've been teaching Biddle Bootcamp for like 10 months now. So one of the things we do is we build a couple hardware wallets, build some software wallets. So if you're interested in that, uh, please join. It's a, it's, a, it's a good group. And uh, I, I made like a Mooniversity class, it was called. It's like a learn to code class where everything's about Bitcoin. Uh, so if like you're interested in coding, you can check that out uh interested in learning to code uh so it's the idea is like leverage people's interest in bitcoin to help them learn to program because that's a very useful skill and the idea is eventually i'd turn that into kind of like a subscription more more subscription site where it's just like a kind of a all kinds of little examples of stuff you could do bitcoin programming wise uh if you want to learn how addresses work if you want to learn to build a block explorer there's all these little projects that you do so I'm, i'm sort of like slowly rolling that out and uh yeah i want to do a lightning class here pretty soon too Uh, i've been sort of putting that together talking to some companies and uh hopefully that'll happen fantastic so look uh let's uh just talk about where if the listeners now they want to find more find out more about junction or about spectre desktop and about this project where should they go to find the info so the uh let me just get this uh diybitcoinhardware.com that'll sort of have everything from these uh, if you want to see the crypto advanced stuff, go to github.com slash crypto advanced. They have the two, uh, projects posted just recently posted. So check those out, like really impressive looking. Uh, and, uh, yeah, junction is just github.com junk, uh, Justin moon slash, uh, junction. Uh, but that'll probably be on the, uh, yeah, you, you can find that. So, so yeah, I think most of it is just on that Bitcoin, uh, DIY Bitcoin hardware wallet.com. We'll try to put all that stuff there. Uh, so if you want to dive down the rabbit hole of playing with Bitcoin hardware, learning how private keys work, uh, and sort of like uh, tinkering, that that's where you can find Stefan and I. We'll put all the links in the show notes for the listeners. You guys can go and click around and have a read on the material there. So look, thank you very much again, Justin and Stefan, for joining me today. Thanks for having us. It was a lot of fun again. <laughs> Yeah, my pleasure. It's uh, I, I just have to mention that we have a person in Texas, we have a person in Australia, and a person in Moscow. So one of us is very tired right now, in the middle of the night. <laughs> let the lesser, listener guess who that was. It's crazy, though. It's crazy how this works. Thanks, guys. Yeah, take it easy. So if you're interested to get reckless and learn and play around with DIY hardware and multi-sig, make sure you check out the links in the show notes. That brings the Hardware Wallet series to a close. I hope you got a lot of value out of this and that this becomes a nice resource to refer people to. 
So some notes for a newbie listener, just summing things up. So if you've gotten through this whole series, congratulations. This is some pretty technical material. If you're still stuck leaving your coins on the Bitcoin exchange, I highly recommend you to get a hardware wallet and get off the exchange, right? So if you're stuck in quote-unquote analysis paralysis and don't know which hardware wallet to go with, I will just pick one. I'll recommend the cold card. Go to cointkite.com and use the code LAVERA to get 5% off. I truly believe it's the best overall blend at the time of recording this in late August 2019. Having the potential for a completely air-gapped setup and SD card air-gapping for PSBT transactions are some great features. Now, if you're more of an intermediate or advanced listener, Make sure you consider the different products mentioned as part of this series and use that to inform your decision and your knowledge in how you guide your newbie friends. So one tip that I've found is don't expect people to go from zero to 100. Try to give them just the next incremental step, the next progressive step of, okay, you're on the exchange, get a hardware wallet. Okay, you've got a hardware wallet, learn to run a node, that kind of thing. I found that to be helpful. Just remember, show notes and transcripts are on my website, stefanlevera.com. If you like the show, make sure you tell your friends and family about it. There is also a Patreon for donations. I've also recently set up a BTC Pay server on my website for Bitcoin donations. That's best 32 cent only. Uh, and I'm also looking into Libra Patreon as well. Libra Patreon as well. Uh, but just having a bit of trouble with the email server config. But anyway, I'll get around to that. That's it from me, guys. Thank you for listening, and as always, I will see you in the Citadels.